We have somebody really special here today, though. Uh, his name is Ken Shepard. I'm going to ask Ken to come on up here real quickly. And uh, something you need to know about Ken, a lot of you already do know this, but Ken was the pastor of this church for uh, 18 years. Uh, I think from, was it 82 to 2000? Is that right? Yeah. Wow, which is really incredible. And uh, what Ken is doing now is uh, he is a missionary to the Metroplex, in a sense. Ken is a missionary with an organization called the Master's Men. And uh, it just so happened that he was in town this weekend, and uh, we were going to have him come up, and we wanted to talk to him a little bit about his ministry. And, you know, just a moment ago, as we're over here, we are baptizing students who came to Christ at uh, an Evolve weekend or uh, going to camp this summer. Uh, a little young lady who was baptized because of a vacation Bible school. Uh, you know, it's your generosity that makes things like that possible. And it's your generosity that makes it possible for also for us to support uh, someone like Ken, who has a great, great uh, ministry out in the Metroplex. And so he's with an organization called Master's Men. I just want to take a moment and tell you that you're one of my favorite people in the whole world. And uh, I love Ken. He's one of the few people in my life that's not here in Borger that regularly reaches out to me to encourage me. And so just so y'all know, church family, uh, he ministers to y'all by ministering to me. And I appreciate that about you very, very much. Man of real integrity, been walking with the Lord a long, long time, loving people for a long time. And we stand on his shoulders. Uh, this is a great church because of Ken Shepherd. And uh, I, I know that I get to stand on your shoulders today, and I appreciate you very much. I really do, really do. So we just want to give you a chance to talk about Master's Men a little bit. And so do you mind just real quickly, just kind of tell us a little bit? Yeah, you need to turn that on. Yeah, yeah, that'd probably be good. See, you're such a pro. Yeah, you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, you thought of that. Yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead. Tell us a little bit about Master's Men. Well, Masters Men is an organization that is designed to try to reach the six or seven out of ten men in America who have no relationship to the local church. That's a big number. You think about that. And how will you reach them? Well, the answer is, frankly, through other men. And Christian men is who we work with specifically, and we try to get them engaged in ministry to that six out of ten men who don't have any relationship to the local church. So they're not going to hear the gospel, and they're not going to see what's really going on. Uh, as we do that, um, you wonder, well, how can they do that? Well, they already know those guys. They already know them. They, they live next door to them. They work with them. They play golf with them. They play tennis with them. They go hunting. They go fishing. They go to the Cowboys games. They go to the soccer field and watch their kids and grandkids play. They already have relationship with them, but it's a social relationship. And we try to work with men. I mentor men specifically. And uh, my role is to try to get those men to, in, to engage in ministry with other men who as John said earlier, who will then, it'll multiply. Uh, the whole idea is uh, making disciples who make disciples. So uh, 
Yeah, I don't know why anybody would go to a Cowboys game, though. I can't imagine why anybody would take the time out of their day to do that. Man. Uh, so uh, just uh, tell us a little bit, like, you know, just an average day of ministry. I love hearing this, by the way, because when Ken lived in Borger, he kind of, he's living the same life in Dallas that he lived in Borger. But what does an average day look like for you, like carrying out your ministry to men in the Metroplex? I usually have about uh, two to four scheduled meetings with individual men in a day. I call those my mentoring sessions. Uh, I work with probably 25 or 30 men currently uh, on a regular, either weekly, every other week, maybe monthly basis. In addition to and, and in those meetings, I'm trying to, number one, just hang with them, just just spend time with them because as I spend time with guys, they begin to open up and they begin to tell me about their life and where they're struggling and so forth and so on. So I can help them in that way. And I can find out where they are spiritually. And sometimes I'll meet a guy and I think he knows the Lord and I'll realize after a bit, no, he doesn't even he doesn't even know the Lord. He goes to church, but he doesn't know the Lord personally. He doesn't have a relationship with him. So it gives me great opportunity there. Um, and then, of course, we try to organize those men into small teams, okay? Uh, we're trying to get men to join with other men uh, in, in small groups in order. And those teams uh, then, they usually host special events that men will be interested in, whether it's a golf match or a fishing trip or a trip to the Cowboys game or the Rangers or any other losing team that you can name. Uh, as long as you can get guys to go, you know, to, to come, they'll, they'll enjoy it. They'll enjoy it. And, and it will foster. We just had a, a really good uh, event just a week or two ago uh, of shooting clays. Anybody shoot clays around here? Yeah, I've got several guys to do. We had a shooting clays event at uh, Dallas Gun Club, which is a very nice, prestigious club in, in Dallas. And we had about 40-plus guys out there, uh, probably, I'm going to say 30, 35 of them, we think, know the Lord. And there were six or eight or ten who didn't. Well, the men who invited them, that gives them tremendous opportunity to further their relationship with them and develop uh, the rapport and gain interest into their hearts and their lives. Yeah. All right. And so uh, we'll make a transition now. Uh, uh, you know, Ken, you might be telling how old you are. Yeah, Ken's 80. And uh, yeah, yeah, really awesome. And, you know, you just don't see that many men in the ministry, 80 years old, still out every day serving the Lord. And... Uh, so we're in this series called A Vision of Generosity. And, you know, there is a vision that God has for your life and for mine that we would live generously with our time, our energy, and our money. And I just thought, you know, with Ken here, this is such a rich opportunity. And I just asked him if he'd kind of just share his heart about generosity. And so I wanted to do that. And I want to say, if you're a guest here today at FCC, uh, your presence here is the greatest gift you could ever give to our church. This is more about, you know, our home folks, you know, just we want to live a life where we're giving away, you know, the, 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 the world around us tells us to, you know, to accumulate and then, and then defend and protect. Whereas the Bible has this vision of our lives of, of just sacrificing and giving. And so we want to be talking about that. So I asked Ken because he's got, you know, so many years that he's been living this way. If he would just share with us a little bit about living a more generous life. And so 
Uh, again, thank you very much, Ken, for being here. I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you, Les. I thank you for all of that. And you know that Les thinks a lot of me, and I think a lot of him, or I wouldn't have accepted the invitation to come and speak to you guys about giving. I mean, <laughs> stewardship is not a real hot topic in most churches, all right? It just isn't. I mean, every fall, every preacher I know of thinks, oh, I've got to do a stewardship series now. <laughs> got to get them jacked up again and get them to give them some money. Keep this thing, you know, the, Billy Graham said the gospel is free, but the bucket we carry it in costs money. So let's, <laughs> let's get this thing going. No, I, I, I really didn't shy away from it because, I, to me, giving is simply a reflection of where you are spiritually. It really is. Now, maybe because of lack of knowledge, information, or, or insight, you, you haven't realized that yet. But giving is an expression of gratitude. God has given to you, and therefore you give to others. Um, I'm going to, I'm going, I asked uh, Les before we started. This won't take long, by the way. Is that good? Okay. <laughs> I, I pastored here 18 years. I pastored 38 years total. 10 years in the church in Mississippi, 18 years here, and 10 years miscellaneous. But, and have continued ministry ever since we left here. But I've never gotten in trouble for letting people out early. I never have. <laughs> and don't think I ever will. So uh, this won't take long, I don't think. But I want to just, just center our thoughts around the, the, the matter of giving, of, of a generous heart, of someone who is grateful. Uh, recently I read a, a great statement. I can't remember who it was. It doesn't matter. But it was a grateful person is a happy person. A grateful person is a happy person. Now, if you aren't grateful this morning, you're probably not happy either. You probably aren't. You may be self-absorbed. You may be stingy. You may be, you may be uh, uh, fearful. You, many people don't give because they're fearful. They think, if I give, then I don't have. What I give to somebody, someone else, I don't have. I want to focus our thoughts around three A's this morning. The, the triple A giving, you know, triple A. Supposed to be, that's the top of the line, triple A. Well, I want to use three A's this morning to give you some, some pegs to hang your thoughts on about the matter of giving. The first A is attitude. Attitude. And it's first really in importance as well. Because if you give with the wrong attitude, you, your gift is not acceptable to God. They may be used, they may be used wisely and, and wonderfully to, to uh, produce a youth program or to keep the lights on or, or to pay a salary. You know, it may be, have good purposes, but in terms of your own spiritual blessing from God, it will not, I believe from the scriptures, it will not have the proper uh, effect. Your attitude should be based upon your gratitude for God. Uh, questions, rhetorical question. How much, how much do you have that God didn't give you? How much does God own of what you have? You are a steward. A steward simply means a manager. You're a manager. 
And God has given to each of us what we have. It may be a lot, it may be a little, but what we have is a gift from God. And that gift from God, God says, I hold you accountable for. Uh, We've got family here this morning, and I'm grateful to see Kenneth and his family. And it's just my wife, Billy, by the way. Raise your hand, Billy. I want them to see you. There she is right there. I did well, didn't I, boys? <laughs> I did really well. When the kids, when we had kids, we decided we were going to try to ingrain in them a concept of money, a concept of the value of money. And we tried to tell them that there are three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can save it, and you can give it. That's the only three things you can do with money, really. Spend it, save it, give it. And we asked them, we tried to direct them that of everything that they got from us, everything they received, they would spend some, they would save some, they would give some. Now, uh, I can tell you it wasn't totally a, a, a totally successful program, but I think my son would stand and tell you, yeah, Dad, you told me that, and, it, and it's true. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a very simple thing, but it's, it's a concept that you need to have in your mind that what God gives you, you're going to do something with that. You're going to spend it, you're going to save it, or you're going to give it. And your attitude toward it, toward, toward the Lord himself and to people around you, is going to reflect whether or not you spend, save, and give in various degrees and amounts, doesn't it? That's a determining factor. Your attitude. The scripture has so much to say about our attitude, about our disposition, about our perspective, about money. I say money, and money is simply the medium of exchange. It's, it's simply a reflection. What is money, by the way? It's a medium of exchange which reflects your time, your talents, your time, and your talents. That's it. Your time, your talent. You speak, take your time, use your talent for someone, and they give you money in exchange for that time and that talent. You took the water. You got any cooties? I need to drink some. I need to drink some. You can, right? Oh, you don't know, you don't know who that is, huh? <laughs> He's going to bring me some. Okay, thank you. When, when, we, when we have our, when we receive money in a paycheck or whatever. You know, sometimes you don't even see a paycheck anymore. It just goes straight to the bank. But when you receive your income, that income is going to be spent or saved or given. Those three things and those only. And your attitude is going to determine how that is reflected. Thank you very much. That's a trick bottle. <laughs> when, when, we, when we are saved, we have received the greatest gift that, God, that we can imagine that God could even give to us. He takes us as, he takes us as hell-bound sinners and brings us into his family. He unites us with Jesus Christ. I mean, in an actual spiritual union. 
bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, spiritually. That's why Paul says over a hundred times in his letters, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And that becomes your position before God the moment you begin believing in him as your savior. I emphasize beginning because many of us do not, don't know when we trusted Christ, when we, when we were saved. I, I don't know. I point to August the 17th, 1958, when the crust of the earth was just cooling. <laughs> I look at that time as when I trusted Christ. But it was in a 1947 Plymouth, in, in, sitting in front of my house in Mobile, Alabama. I don't know if I was saved that night, but I know that God began to do a work in me that I was conscious of. Listen, he'd been working on me since eternity passed. But that's when I was conscious of it. And in the next week or so, I, I solidified that, that, that relationship, uh, that my understanding of it. And I recognized that, that the promise of God was if I would trust him, I'd believe in him, but I'd accept him as my sin debt payer. He paid the penalty for my sins, and I could have eternal life. Well, that's where my life began. You may not know when yours began. It doesn't matter. When you began believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave you that greatest gift of all. That's what Paul says. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. We will spend all eternity, we'll spend all eternity learning about and gaining better understanding of and fathoming the unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. What we have and who we are because God saved us. When you understand that, when you are appreciative of that, when you are, what's the word, grateful for that, that in itself provides a basis for you giving. You give because you've been given unto. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And elsewhere in Scripture, over and over again, the emphasis is upon being a generous person. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a very dark book in many ways, but I like it very much because it's real. And in the 11th chapter, he says, cast your bread upon the water for after many days it will return unto you. The idea there is of sowing seed and uh, in a wet field. And then in many days, you'll get the you'll get the harvest of it. Uh, it has a lot of applications, but it also speaks of generosity. Galatians chapter six, Paul talks about the the uh, sowing and reaping. Remember that passage about sowing and reaping? Uh, let me read that to you. Didn't think an 80-year-old man could go down and come back up like that, did you? Okay. Hey, I still play golf once, twice a week. And that's for ministry. <laughs> hey, with my hand up before God, that's for ministry. I love it. I love it. I enjoy it very much. And, and God has been so good to let me do it at this point in my life. Because 80 is an old man. Good night. I mean that. I'm, I, with gratitude, I mean that. But I do. I use it for ministry because you spend four, four hours with a guy in a golf cart, you get to know him. He'll get to know you. 
And many, many, many times they'll begin to open up about their life. And I can begin to address the issues of their life and find out where they are spiritually. What are you doing about that? How, how are you handling that? How are you handling that, that child that just told, told you that she's a lesbian? How do you handle that, how do you handle that, that kid who's been gone for, for two years and you haven't seen him? How do, how do you and your wife cope with that? How how did you get over the fact that you lost your business last year? Went belly up and you had to start completely over with practically nothing. How are you handling that? Well, that'll tell me a lot about where he is spiritually, okay? So anyway, go. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Most of the time when that verse, that, those words have been used in sermons, it has been a hellfire and damnation setting. It's been a, you better watch out what you sow on Saturday night because judgment's coming. Okay, that is not what Paul's talking about here. What does the text say? Don't be fooled. God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. Meaning, what you plant, you're going to get back, right? Well, now there's an application that says if you go out and raise sand on, uh, in your life, you're going to, there's going to be a price to pay. Yeah, that's a sowing and reaping operation. But not in this context. Paul's talking about something completely different. He's talking about giving. He says, For he who sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Spend, save, give. What you spend, you generally are doing for yourself. All right? You spend it. You sow to your flesh. Of the flesh, you reap corruption. What do you have now that you've bought, you've spent your money on, that uh, is going to be with you five years from now, two years from now, three years from now? No. Garage sales and yard sales are filled with what? what you couldn't live without when you bought it. Very short life. He who sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit, sows to the Spirit, he's investing his money, and that's giving, investing his money in spiritual things for the spiritual benefit of others. That can be in having lights in here or air conditioning in the summertime in the panhandle, all right? It can be a lot of things, physical, but it still is, has a spiritual intent and meaning. And then he goes on and says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't quit. And he says, we have therefore, as we therefore, when you see the word therefore, all you old folks know what this means. What, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, what should you ask? What's it therefore? Right. Because he's drawing a conclusion. The conclusion of don't be deceived, God didn't mock, whatever a man sows, he also shall reap, is what? As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Taking care of people. Giving. Giving. Attitude. Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians 
And in his second letter, he spent two whole chapters talking about a, a fundraising trip that he made. He left Antioch over in Syria and came up through Turkey and worked his way around. And anyway, bottom line is he was trying to collect money from these churches to take back to Jerusalem because the saints there didn't have two dimes to rub together and they were hurting. And his argument was, listen, they gave you the gospel. They gave you the gospel which brought to you eternal life. I'm just asking you to give them some money so they can buy some bread and feed some kids. As he goes through there, as he does that, he writes two chapters just on that subject. And let me read just a couple of verses out of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll do, I'll do 9 to start with. Well, I'm sorry. Give me just a moment. I'm 80. <laughs> All right. I'm kind of enjoying this thing a little bit. <laughs> I can lay off everything I do wrong to my age. We're getting here. We're getting there. Well, it came to one that says exactly what he told the Galatians. He said, but this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We'll stop there on that one. Oh, here we are. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. What did Jesus give? Not too much. He just left heaven. He just left the presence of the Father and was born in the armpit of humanity, which was the Middle East in that time. The little end of Israel, which every Roman uh, officer hated to be sent to. You folks are living in a wonderful time in Borger, Texas. You may know people or have met people who lived here in the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s. This was a tough place to live. And through the years, as Phillips became the dominant oil company here, it was almost a curse to be sent from Bartlesville to Borger. Seriously. Jesus left heaven and went to Bethlehem. Went to Nazareth. Little, it, it was... It was smaller than Sanford, okay? This is it. Very small, very small. Just a little blip on the radar. And grew up there. He left him. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. That's the attitude of giving. For God so loved the world that he what? gave uh, his only begotten son. Quickly move on. The second A, if A is for, for attitude and the attitude of gratitude, the second is amount. Well, it's kind of getting practical, isn't it? 
Uh, if God gives me, well, what God gives me, if you look at it as 100% of my asset in that context, uh, how much of that should I give if I'm going to save this much and spend this much and what's left over? Well, again, your spiritual disposition will determine whether you're giving the right amount. Now, I can, I can say what I want because I'm leaving this afternoon. I don't, I don't practice tithing. We more than tithe, okay? We more than tithe. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that I'm not locked into a tithe. The tithe is for Israel. It's wonderful. If you need, if you, if you need it for training wheels on your bicycle, okay, do use it. If you aren't a giver at all, start with 10%. We won't hurt you a bit. I'll guarantee you. God will bless you if you do it with the right attitude. That 10% will be wonderfully replaced by God. It really will. That's, a, that's from Ken Shepherd, okay? But I believe that. But the amount is determined by, well, let's read again from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter, actually 9, following this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he who sows bountifully, meaning you plant a lot, you give a lot, he shall reap also bountifully. Listen to this. Every man according as he purposes in his heart. Means you give it thought. You think about it. You think about it. You talk to God about it. You purpose in your heart. So let him give, not grudgingly. You know what that is, don't you? That means with a bad attitude, saying, golly, I kind of hate to give this. Listen, I'll tell you the truth. If, you, if that's your attitude, keep it in your pocket. Keep it in your pocket. I, I see that you still have an offering box in the foyer. We, we, we always had a, an offering plate back there or something. We didn't take an offering in, in the services when I was here. There's nothing, nothing commanded by Scripture about that. It's just the way we chose to do it because it gave me the opportunity to tell the people who came, listen, there are offering boxes at the back if you want to, want to contribute to the ministry. That's great. But listen, if you're here... Uh, as a guest, please just just enjoy, just take in, just enjoy it. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please keep your money because if you gave money, you might think that's going to earn you a little grace with God. And we don't want to want you to think that at, at all. God isn't going to owe you anything if you put some money in the plate. So you come and just accept the gift of what we tell you, the good news about Jesus Christ. We're happy you're here. So not grudgingly or of necessity. Necessity means outward pressure. It's a word that means to push from the outside. How much, how much giving takes place because of pressure from the outside? A lot. Don't let that be the case with you. You give not grudgingly or of necessity but rather, as he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Hilaron is the word there in the original. Hilaron, which we get our word hilarious from. And it doesn't mean in a silly sense, like a funny joke. No, it means in a happy sense. Why? Because a grateful person is a happy person. And a grateful person looks for opportunities to give, to share what God's blessed him with. The third day, the first day is what? The second? The third is action. I know a lot of Christians, you know, Christians, who understand the concept of giving, and they understand the the, the attitude that they should have and they understand the, the uh, amount that they think they should give. They understand the principles involved there. But they just never get around to it. Well, that's one reason Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says... Now concerning the matter of giving, concerning the, I think he says the collections, the offerings. Let me get that. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Remember, he's on a fundraising trip. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia over in Asia, before I came here, I was there. I told them the same thing I'm telling you now, and that is, you do this. That's it. Even so do you. Even so you do it. You do, you do it. You don't just understand it. You don't just think about it. You don't just ponder it. You do it. Upon the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by him in store. This is interesting. It doesn't, it doesn't say bring your money to the church house. Number one, there was no church house. They didn't have church houses. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way, at all. But here he's talking about every family getting together and saying, okay, the Lord's blessed us in this way. We've got this much money. We're going to take this much and put it in our giving fund. And that's what we're going to use to give. We're going to give to the church. We're going to give to Sam Jones down the street who's just gotten out of the hospital and he, he's got a horrible, horrible bill. He's got, he, he hasn't been able to work. Let's help him. Let's give to him. That's giving. It isn't just to the church. It's giving to people to meet their needs. Let him lay by himself in store. Why? So that there be no gatherings when I come. Because I don't want outside pressure from me when I get there to motivate you to give then. I'm not going to put the B on you. I'm putting the B on you now, long distance in this letter, so you can take care of business before I get there. And the, there'll be no scrambling around or going to the bank and getting a loan so you can take care of the pledge you made last time I came through. You get the idea, I think. Attitude, amount, action. Do it. And I challenge every family here to make it a family matter that is discussed among you as husband and wife, with the children even, so they have an understanding of the concept of giving. A grateful person is a happy person. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. It's been a great morning. You've blessed us already. And I thank you, Father, for the privilege it's been for me to be here with this group, to baptize Alex, to have a great time of reunion with, with several people, Father, that, that are dear to us. We're grateful, Father, and we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen.